Jesus' arrival was an arrival of love. Many of you will know these verses, John 3, 16 and 17. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, <clears throat> so that everyone who believes in him will not pass away but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Now, when someone shows you love, it's natural for us to love them back. So if your parents show you love, it's natural to want to love them back. Uh, when you're dating and looking towards marriage and someone begins to say, I love you and shows you love, it's natural to want to love them back. When your siblings or your friends or your relatives are loving towards you, it's natural to be loving back. And God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son so that we might be with him forever. We might experience his love and life. And so our natural response should be to respond back to him in love. And one of the ways we do that is as we experience his love, we share his love with others. Without God's love, we are lost. God has loved us so much he sent Jesus, and we need God's love in our life through Jesus in the presence of his Spirit. That's what we need. We need salvation. I heard it said uh, this week, if our need was for you know, lots of written things, <clears throat> God may have sent a poet. If our need was primarily for um, health, wealth, and prosperity, we would have been sent a motivational speaker. If our, if our need was to fill our cavities, God would have sent a dentist. But... He sent Jesus, his son, a savior, so that we might experience his love and be saved. 1 John 4 says that God's very nature is love. It's a part of who God is. And when the angel announced to Mary that she would be having God's son, that through God's power, the Messiah would come through her, he said, you'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So if God is love, and God is with us through the person of Jesus, then when we receive Jesus into our life, when we worship him, when we choose to follow and obey him, that means God's love is with us inside forever. That's something that we need. Now Mary, when she heard the angel's announcements, like we heard at the Advent reading this morning, uh, as amazing as it is that God would choose her and that God would choose to show his love to the world in this way, it's just as amazing her response because she didn't respond poorly. She responded well. Luke 1.38 says this, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Whatever God asked her to do, she was willing to do, even bear his son, a pretty amazing thing for God to say. So how about you? Are you willing to do whatever God asks you to do? As you are considering who he is, and maybe you've chosen to follow him, and maybe you're just seeking and searching out what this Christianity and this Jesus is all about. But there comes a point in time where you interact with God's love, and he asks you to follow. And are we willing to Follow. Are you willing to share God's love the way that you have received it? Now, Mary shared some things about Jesus prophetically. In fact, as she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, 
Uh, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of Jesus to prepare the way. He was in the desert baptizing people, and his life was prophesied about in the Old Testament. And in her old age, Elizabeth became miraculously pregnant, not like Mary, who was a virgin, but still it was miraculous that she would have a baby in her old age. And her cousin Mary, miraculously as a virgin, is bearing the Messiah. When Mary goes to Elizabeth's house, they're both awestruck and, and worshiping and talking about the great things that God is doing in them. And then Mary breaks out. I like to think it's in song. We don't know that it's a song. It's at least a poem. And that's been known now as the Magnificat. Luke 1, 46 to 55 says this. Mary responded. So this is a response to all God had done in her life. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. This is her humble response to God's love. She received the message that God gave her, and she responded in worship and obedience. But she continues to prophetically say the things that Jesus would do for us in his coming. And the amazing thing about this is the way she says it, or the way she sings it, is as if it's already happened. Verse 50 says this, he shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down the princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Let me give you a little bit of a summary of God's love poured out for Jesus Christ. First of all, Jesus would change the religious landscape. The Israelites, the Jewish people, they had mistakenly thought that God's love and his way uh, to get from us to him, to be in relationship with him, was simply through law and religion and sacrifice. Those were means by which to understand God's heart and God's nature. But the New Testament tells us that they couldn't free them from sin. They couldn't forever bring them close to God. No one could be that perfect, that obedient. It took Jesus coming, being perfect, being made a perfect sacrifice for our sakes, being a better high priest, a better temple, a better everything, instating a new kingdom where we can freely receive the gift of salvation that Jesus gives, and that he lived out in and through us. And so he changes the religious landscape from one of law, one of oppression, one where the religious leaders thought they were better than everyone else, to one of mercy and grace. That's a pretty big change. Jesus would do that for us. Secondly, he changed the balance of power. Jesus said to his disciples when they were looking at the leadership methods, it was his leadership 101, he said, you know, you see the religious leaders here, they, they lord it over others. They're, they're proud, they're haughty, they, they think they're better than others. You see that as the religious leaders, you see it in Rome, you see it in the marketplace, you see it everywhere. When someone has a position of power, they tend to abuse it. And Jesus says, that's not my kingdom. In fact, I will bring down the proud and I will exalt the humble. It's, it's your humble heart that matters in my kingdom. And so he changes the balance of power. He lifts up the humble so all have opportunity to come 
into his kingdom equally. And then he also changes the distribution of resources. And it says he, he welcomes those who are poor or with empty hands and he sends away the rich. It's not that he's against riches. It's not, he, he's just saying those who think that riches make them something, those who put their hope, those who put everything in what they can make of themselves, what they can uh, attain and gain in this life, they'll be sent away empty-handed because that's not the value of the kingdom. And so he has set about a kingdom of a people who share what they have, a kingdom where all are welcome, a kingdom where no one should be needy. And Jesus has done these things for us. Now, if you are familiar with the New Testament and you look throughout that, you realize that over the course of his about three and a half year ministry before his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and now we wait for him to return, Jesus hasn't done all those things. We still have governments who, you know, oppress. We've had wars. The, the, the people in his church aren't perfected. So, so how is it that Jesus actually does this? Well, he does this through the hearts and the lives of his people. We await his return when he will fulfill all of these things. Setting up new heaven and new earth where he reigns forever. We spend with God in this kind of a kingdom. But for now, he works in us so he can work through us. We experience his love so we can be loving. Now, there's a lot of um, understanding about love, but God's love is different than ours. So may we understand God's love. May we respond to it. May we do what Mary did, who received God's love, received what he was saying about truth, and then she responded in worship and obedience. So, this Christmas, here's what I, I think a good application is. May we respond to God's love. So, Jesus sent to us, may we respond to God's love uh, by receiving Jesus. And maybe you don't know him. Maybe you're just exploring him. May you believe in him. Receive him and forgiveness and, and new life. But also, may you worship Jesus. And may you obey Jesus. And one of the ways we obey Jesus is to love others as he loved. So there are a lot of opinions on what love is in our world. And a lot of people believe that if they just love the right way, we can rebuild the earth and we can make it a better place. And there's some truth to that. The problem is most people's idea of love is subjective. It changes with the, the setting and atmosphere. I'll love you if you believe the same way as me. I'll love you if you love me back. I'll love you if you're on your best behavior. I'll love you if I like you. And if I don't like you, I'm not going to love you. And that is not the way God's love works. In fact, Jesus tells us something of his love. John 13, 34 to 35. So now I am giving you a new command. So this is, uh, for followers of Jesus, this is our command. The law and the prophets of the Old Testament all point to Jesus, and he fulfills them. And as we live this command out with him in and through our lives, we fulfill all the rest as well. So now I'm giving you a new command. Love each other. But it's not just love each other. It's descriptive. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So what is Jesus' love like? We have to ask ourselves that. Well, at Christmas time, we can focus on the reality that he left heaven, the heavenly realm, God's throne room, took on flesh as God's son, became fully human, fully God, born as a baby, humble, innocent, 
and lived for us and died for us and rose for us. He didn't consider equality with God the Father something to be grasped, even though he was. In fact, he lowered himself, Philippians 2 says, below the angels. He lowered himself below all humanity, suffering a criminal's death. And he took on the punishment for sin that we all deserve. And so one quality of God's love, not that love is a quality of God, but God is love, but one way he shows us is through being sacrificial. So we could say that God's love if we want to understand the love of Jesus, that it is sacrificial. And when we love others sacrificially, then we're loving as Jesus loves. And so Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. This is where we practice love within the church family because if you're loving someone sacrificially who has Jesus in them who's loving sacrificially, you have a better chance of understanding how to live this love out. And we get it wrong and we have the pattern of forgiveness that Jesus had given us so that we can learn to love well when we're not together with the rest of the world so that others might experience the love of Jesus in how we love. And so we practice with one another and we learn with one another. And so we love sacrificially as he has loved. Here's my invitation to you. Share the sacrificial love of Jesus this Christmas. And I encourage you to do it in three ways. Okay? By what you say, by how you live, and by what you do. Okay, share the sacrificial love of Jesus with others this Christmas in what you say, how you live, and what you do. There's a story written a little over a hundred years ago that I want to share with you that I think can help us understand better how to share sacrificial love. And it's about a family called the Osbournes. Now, the Osbournes lived in their home in the woods, and their home was known as the Firs, because they lived in and amongst the evergreen trees that were called Firs, which we, they typically would cut down as Christmas trees. And that particular Christmas, cousin Myra, who is older than the four Osborne children, come to stay for the whole Christmas season. And when she came, she was filled with hope and, and joy and really excited about the Christmas season, but the four Osborne children who lived at the Firs were not. In fact, their oldest son, Frank, he, he described what they were all feeling. He said, you know what? Christmas is a bore. We get stockings on Christmas morning. I know half of the stuff that's in them anyway. Every year we get presents from my parents, but we usually know the things they're giving us anyway, so we just make it seem like we're surprised when we open the presents. And then the relatives come over for Christmas dinner at the firs every year. And my aunts and my uncles come through the door, and they ruffle my hair and say, Oh, Frankie, how big you are this year. Aren't you getting to be such a big boy? And then all the adults, they talk and they eat, and after we clean up from dinner, they sit around in the living room talking for hours while we have to sit quietly and play. Christmas is a nuisance. They couldn't actually figure out why Cousin Myra would have something to smile about at all. And so Cousin Myra said, I, I can't believe what I'm hearing. How, how could you think Christmas is a nuisance? I think you Osbournes have had quite enough of Christmas. Well, after they talked a little bit more, they decided that, well, there was one part of Christmas they liked. They liked the candy. Cousin Myra said, you know what, have you ever considered 
giving Christmas. This seemed to be the craziest thing that the four Osborne children had ever heard in their lives. What do you mean giving Christmas? We give Christmas every year, they said. In fact, Sister Ida said, every year we buy gifts for our cousins. Our cousins have more than we do. Our cousins have everything. We can never pick anything that they need, want, or like. So we buy it anyway, and we give Christmas. And Meyer said, no, 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 no. What I mean is, have you ever considered giving Christmas to those who need it? Have you ever thought about the Roland family? Or all the boys over at Old Joe's? Or how about little Sammy? Have you ever thought about giving Christmas to them? Well, the Osborne children had never had this thought cross their mind in their life. But over the next hour, they talked and they schemed and they planned. And following that, Cousin Myra went to Mr. and Mrs. Osborne to ask them what they thought about this plan. And they were overjoyed. So the next day, the children went to their parents and they said, Mom and Dad, over the next week before Christmas, could you give us any money that you're going to buy for gifts for us or give to us? Just give it to us. We want to use it. Now, the children thought they were very clever and that their parents had no idea what they were going to spend this on. The parents played along and they knew full well and were in full support of what they were going to do. And over the next week at the Furs, the Osborne children were full of excitement. In fact, their enthusiasm far outweighed Cousin Myra as they prepared for Christmas Day. And Christmas Day came. And on that morning, the only people who exchanged gifts were Cousin Myra and Mr. and Mrs. Osborne. And they continued to get ready, and eventually afternoon came, and the aunts and the uncles came, but the four Osborne children weren't at the door to get their hair ruffled and their cheeks pinched by aunties and uncles who loved them. Instead, they were in another room with Cousin Myra. They were hurriedly running around that room, setting the table, and they had decorated it just so. They were setting out the food that Cousin Myra had helped them make just as their guests began to arrive. In through the door came the little Roland children, followed by a whole troop of all the boys from Old Joe's. A few minutes after that, Frank pulled up in a sled he had hitched to a pony he had taken into town and picked up Sammy, who couldn't walk, and he made an extra stop to pick up Tilly, who had been invited. Tilly's mom doesn't celebrate Christmas, but she thought the invitation was so sweet and so nice she let her daughter go along anyway. Well, soon that second dining room was filled with children, and Cousin Myra oversaw it all, but it began a little, a little awkward, a little quiet. No one knew quite what to say or quite what to do. But following the lead of Cousin Myra, soon they were all laughing and having a great time. In fact, Myra said, Don't tell anyone, but I'd prefer to be here with you kids than out there with the adults. And after they ate their dinner, they went into another room where there was a large Christmas tree that had been decorated by the children. This wasn't the typical Osborne Christmas tree, which was set up at the corner of the front living room. No, this is one that was chosen specifically by the children, cut down and decorated. And under it, piled high, were gifts that the Osborne children had bought with their own money. Each of their guests sat and received a gift. All the boys from Old Joe's received a new pair of skates. The seven rolling children got just the thing that they so wanted. Sammy got a set of beautiful books and Tilly got the first doll she had ever owned. After they had fun and ate desserts and treats so many that their 
they couldn't have eaten them all. Frank hitched up the pony again to the sled and they took them all through the furs on a Christmas Day sleigh ride, followed by drop-offs at each one of the four homes. As Frank and Myra came back to the house in the evening and they were all getting ready for bed, they talked about the day. Sister Ida said, you know, this was the happiest, jolliest Christmas I've ever had. One of the twin boys said, you know, I thought we were going to give something to them, but it's we who receive something today. Frank spoke up on behalf of all of them. He said, this is, this is the best thing we've ever done for Christmas. In fact, I don't want it to end just with Christmas. I want to do this the whole year long. This is, a, this is kind of a, a, a fun way to look at some way to sacrifice. Now, it's a fictional story. It's make-believe, but it helps us understand the heart of what Jesus wants us to do. In sacrificial love, we most often think of giving a gift or giving some money to someone in need. And I don't want to downplay that because maybe you, in your sacrificial love, that's exactly what you want to do. Now, you might be thinking, but, but it's Christmas Eve and tomorrow's Christmas morning. We don't have time. Yes, you do. You may not be able to do something tonight or tomorrow for someone, but over the Christmas season or when you get back to school or get back to work, certainly we can have some sort of sacrificial love. So the Osborne children are creative in solving a problem and giving Christmas to someone else. So I thought I'd do a little bit of brainstorming and help you out. Here's three ways that you can share the sacrificial love of Jesus with others this Christmas in a way that may not require giving a gift or giving money. The first is in what you say. The first is in what you say. You can give a gift of love in what you say. And typically, sacrifice means you give something up, hold something back that you would keep in order for someone else. So how about this Christmas? To give sacrificial love to someone else, you hold back in using words of frustration or anger or bitterness or mean words, words that tear down, words that ruin, words that break people apart, words that are going to cause that Christmas dinner to really go south really quick, even if it's true. Okay, how about you hold back on saying those types of words. Instead, use words that build up, that encourage, that love. Secondly, you can share love in how you live, your heart, your attitude. Sometimes our attitudes towards others aren't so great, are they? This Christmas, I'd encourage you to overlook the faults of others. Maybe check your attitude, the judgment you have towards others, the bitterness you may be bringing when you're interacting with others, and maybe just check your heart and have a better attitude towards the others around you. And thirdly, what you do. Consider what you do. Now, when we think of what we do, we think of gifts, money, but there's other things you can do. What about putting others first? What about when it's time to eat, you let someone else go first? What about if it's time to open gifts, as excited as you are, you let someone else go first? You put someone else before you because Jesus put you before himself. What about sharing what you have? Maybe you can't give something, but what about sharing the toys that you have when cousins come over? What about sharing the things that you have with others over the Christmas season so that they can enjoy what you have too? You don't necessarily need to give it forever, 
but maybe there's something you can share. Adults, we have toys too, we have homes, we have meals, we have things we can share with others as well. All of these are ideas how you can share the sacrificial love of Jesus. May you do it in what you say, how you live, and what you do. And it's not too late. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus. And he sent Jesus not only so that you and I would receive his love, but that we would respond to him in worship and obedience. And that through those, as we share his love with others, others might experience the love of Jesus too. I'm going to invite the worship team up as I close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that your love is so great. We can't even comprehend it. That you sent your Son, who lowered himself, humbled himself. So may we be humble in our response to your love through your Son, Father. May we share your love with others in what we say, the attitudes of our heart, and what we do. May we see our Christmas gatherings, our home time, how we spend this Christmas break changed because we see your love on display and at work in our life and in the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.